I think that it's like really important that women need to learn about all the trade-offs that they're making because we are not given all the information that's out there about the birth control pill. And if we're going to be making informed decisions about our health, we need to know what it is that our body is going to be doing and who we are going to be because it changes what our brain is doing. And so it changes who we are. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. As I am writing this introduction, I am flying back from Salt Lake City, Utah after speaking to an arena and convention of 36,000 attendees at doTERRA's global convention, not only to share my story, but to share my message about hormone balance. It was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. And if you were there last week, I want to say thank you so much for allowing me to serve you with my message and my recommendations. I am so grateful that I get to support your hormone journey. Let's dive into today's episode. When I was in college, I finally got on birth control. The biggest reason I decided to take the pill was to regulate my cycle. Little did I know that the pill doesn't actually regulate your menstrual cycle. It turns it off altogether. At the time, I wanted as much ease and grace as I could manage because I had a stack full of science classes that particular year. So I opted for the Depavero shot, which is a shot of birth control that you took every three months. Needless to say, this form of birth control was intense, and I lasted about a year on it before I came off of birth control entirely. I don't know about your experiences with birth control, but being on birth control made me feel crazy. It's literally the best way I can describe it. My moods were all over the place. I felt irritable and anxious all the time. My weight fluctuated. I had headaches all the time. I mean, honestly, I just felt like something was very wrong with me. And finally, I said enough is enough and I got off the depot shots. It took almost a year to get my menstrual cycle back and I was definitely struggling with post-birth control syndrome, weight fluctuations, more migraines, mood swings, brain fog, and so much more for at least six months afterwards. Now, if you have recently stopped the pill and you are not feeling like yourself, I wanna invite you to check out episode number 60 with Dr. Jolene Brighton on this podcast. She is my expert for post-birth control syndrome and she gives so many recommendations in that episode. For so long, I honestly thought I was the only person going through this. Birth control side effects wasn't a conversation I was having with friends at the time. During the early 2000s, birth control seemed to be the cure-all for all issues pertaining to women. At least that's how it was being marketed. I felt a little ashamed that I couldn't make it work because I did see the benefits of using birth control to support my college and career journey and the freedom it provided me by allowing me to decide when to start a family. And I just want to say that I've been birth control free since I was 22 years old and I still feel like I had a lot of freedom to decide when to start a family. So I just want to let you know that there are other options available if that is the concern. As you can imagine, my opinion has changed since then. I have taken a lot of time to educate myself about birth control, and I have a more difficult time recommending it today with all of the side effects. I absolutely do not recommend it as a way to regulate your period or to manage other menstrual 
type symptoms. Birth control is being used as a band-aid for many reproductive issues, and it is not solving the problem. Birth control just masks the issue, and the issue, whatever it may be, isn't going away. It just continues to manifest, and that's my biggest concern. So my goal is to continue to bring experts on so that we are educated about our menstrual cycle and educated about our options. One particular expert I'm bringing on today is Dr. Sarah Hill, who just authored the book, This Is Your Brain on Birth Control. Dr. Sarah Hill has dug into the research about the ways in which the pill changes our brain chemistry and behavior, and she shares it in her new book because she believes that women deserve to be educated so that they can make an informed decision before they decide to go on the pill, especially young girls before the age of 21 because their brain is still developing, and we'll be getting into that much more. But before I bring on Dr. Sarah Hill, I want to quickly sing your praises. One particular healing rock star is Maggie, and I'm excited to shout out her win that she shared on Instagram earlier this week. Dr. Marisa, my stress levels got to a level that I could not manage them well over the last year. I honestly did not feel like myself for so long. Anytime I got stressed during the day, I felt like it took over me. My sister recommended that I check you out, specifically one of your episodes on stress relief. And I cannot thank you enough for the strategies and the tools you have given me to manage my stress on a daily basis. I can't wait to dive into more. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Maggie. And thank you for sharing your big win about how to manage your stress. I know that stress is the fuel on the fire for so many of us. It was ruling my life for so long. So I completely relate to you. And I want you to know that we have a lot of awesome episodes coming up very soon, including the Essential Oils Hormone Summit that I know you are going to love. So definitely plug on into that when registration opens. Now, if you're listening, I would also love to gift you a signed copy of my book, The Essential Oils Hormone Solution. This entire book has so many recommendations for stress, including the chapter, I believe it's chapter five, on stress reduction. There's so many great recipes in there as well. And all you gotta do is just reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Marisa, and we will get your book in the mail. Now, if you are listening, one, Welcome to the show. This podcast is all about empowerment. And if any of these episodes have helped you in any way, I would love to shout you out too. You can reach out to me via Insta, Facebook, or by simply reviewing this podcast on iTunes. I believe we then, we've now cleared 300 reviews, which is so exciting on iTunes. And that's all thanks to you. Now, the reason why I love offering you the opportunity to share this with people that matter most to you as I think about Maggie and how her sister opened the door for her to find some really true solutions. And I know that we have sisters and moms and friends and people in our life that are feeling very lost and don't feel like they have a lot of solutions. And one of the reasons why I created this podcast was I know what that feels like. And I wanted to be able to not only bring great experts on, but to also share my own personal expertise in that arena. So please feel free to share the episodes on Insta or whatever you feel is really good to you, or feel free to leave a review. Now let's dive into this incredible conversation with Dr. Sarah Hill, but first I want to sing her praises. A leading researcher in the dynamic and rapid expanding field of evolutionary psychology, Dr. Sarah E. Hill completed her PhD 
at in Austin and is now a professor at TCU. With more than 50 scientific publications and multiple prestigious research grants to her credit, she has become an authority on evolutionary approaches to psychology and health. She has recently turned her expertise towards understanding the pervasive effects of birth control on women, writing This Is Your Brain on Birth Control. Let's welcome her to the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Dr. Sarah Hill. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. Oh my goodness. When I saw your book, I knew I had to have you on the show. I couldn't wait to have this conversation with you today. And I'm so grateful. And I know I speak for thousands of women right now. So grateful that you wrote this book to give us some context as to what is going on with birth control. And so the book that you have just written, which I love, 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 it's given me so much, so much I didn't realize. You know how you know something to be true, but then the research is there and you're just like, yeah, this, this validates all the things that I knew. And your book is, this is your brain on birth control and all the ways that the pill can actually change our brain and our behavior. Now, before we get into the nuts and bolts of this, I want to just ask you a little bit about your journey. What inspired you to write this book and have you, I, I take it you have your own kind of journey around birth control pills. Yeah, so I do. I was on the pill for more than a decade of my life, just like a lot of women are. You know, we go on it pretty early. Um, I went on it originally to clear up my skin and make my periods more regular, just like a lot of people do. And I was on it for like 11 or so years. and, um, And then I went off of it. When I went off of it, it was sort of after I was done having my kids. I mean, I was obviously off it to have my kids because we all know how that works. (laughs) Yes, that is the deal. Yeah, exactly. That was like a very lengthy amount of time that I was off of it. But like when I finally went off it for good, when I was done having children, I was done uh, breastfeeding them and all of that and was sort of back to my normal set of, you know, hormones. I felt like a totally different person. I felt like I woke up. You know, it was really um, sort of surprising. It was about three months after I went off of the pill and I just started noticing like men and I found that I was like listening to music again and I was cooking and exercising and doing a lot of these things that I had done before, before I'd been on the pill, but had kind of fallen off my radar screen. And I had assumed that, you know, I'd kind of stopped doing a lot of those things like noticing men and, you know, exercising because I was in listening to music because, you know, I was becoming more mature, you know, I was in graduate school. And so I thought I had just sort of outgrown these things. And then I went off the pill and there they were again. And so I thought, well, this is kind of curious. And, you know, I kind of filed it away in the back of my brain, you know, in the back of my brain is like something that happens to me when I stop a medication. So that was kind of like the first thing that happened. And not that long afterward, I was at a research presentation 
listening to somebody talk about the stress response, right? And just like how people respond to stress. And because I'm a psychologist, I've been in the field for, gosh, 19 years. I've been a psychologist. I study health. I study women. I study sex. I study stress. So I was in this presentation about stress and the researcher had mentioned that when they had done their study, that they ended up only looking at the men in the sample because he noted during the study, most of the women in the study were on the pill. And surprisingly enough, the women on the pill didn't have a regular stress response. Their stress response was um, the sort of hormonal response that usually happens in response to stress, which is a cortisol rise, um, just wasn't happening in these pill-taking women. And so I was at this talk and he had just mentioned this as sort of a, you know, a side note about the research that they were doing. And that wasn't the point of the talk, but it was like all of a sudden, because my own experiences with going off the pill and feeling so different and then, you know, hearing about this, it just really, it all of a sudden it hit me like a lightning bolt, like the pill changes everything and you know because it changes what the brain does because pills you know are made up of these artificial sex hormones and there's receptors for these hormones all over the place in the brain so when you modify those it's going to change what the brain does and it's going to basically change you know most of the things that we think about when we think about creating the experience of being a human being like i said i was on the pill for a very long time you know, and I study women and I study health and I study sex and I study psychology. And it never occurred to me that the pill would be changing my brain. And it was at that moment in that talk and after having that experience of feeling so different once I got off the pill that I realized, oh my gosh, there has to be a lot that's out there that's known about the way that the pill changes the brain. And most women just haven't heard about it. And so I went into the research literature and I dug around. And sure enough, in some cases, you know, researchers have been publishing on the way that the pill changes the brain for somewhere like 30 years, but there's no information out there for women. I'm a psychologist and a woman and I was on the pill. So if anybody should have had this information, it should have been me. You know, and it really was surprising to me just how little attention had been given to this topic, especially given, you know, if you talk to women about the birth control pill, most of what women talk about is how it makes them feel psychologically. Um, They don't talk about blood clots and strokes and all of these other things that, you know, is really the only thing that we hear about when we hear about quote unquote side effects that come along with taking the birth control pill. And so I wanted to write this book to sort of spotlight, you know, what we do know, because there is, like I said, there's been research that's been done now for at least 30 years, um, looking at the way that the pill changes the brain. So I wanted to make women aware of this information. So that way women can make, you know, really informed decisions about their health and know the trade-offs that they're making, the psychological trade-offs that they're making if they decide to go on the birth control pill. Because again, you know, this information just hasn't been made available for some reason. And then also I wanted to just sort of make women sort of aware of the way that hormones influence their brains and their decisions and their behavior, even in the absence of the pill. And this is something that of course, you know a ton about, and and that's the pervasive role of hormonal involvement in the activities of making us who we are and how we feel and how we experience the world. Because I think this is like such important information for women to have because without it, 
you know, it's like something like the birth control pill doesn't seem like a big deal because we only think about hormones in terms of how they influence things like endometrial lining proliferation or, you know, something like that without thinking about this is something that really plays a key role in what my brain is doing and creating the experience of being me. So when you realized that there was all this research and yet you were on the pill for, for 11 years, give or take, and notice all these changes, what did that feel like? Like, what was that moment? Did you feel deceived? Did you feel sabotaged? Were you angry? Because I would have been angry. I mean, honestly, in all the research that I've done, and I've done some, a lot of research with the pill, more and more emotional, like how it's impacting our neurotransmitters on an emotional level. But knowing that although women talk about it, the research is just not being advocated for. Right. Yeah. You know, it's funny because the emotion that I felt the most strongly was embarrassment because, um, <laughs> you know, it's like I, I'm a psychologist. You know, I've been a research psychologist. You know, I've been in my position for over a decade and I specialize in studying women, sex, and relationships. And so, really, I felt like really embarrassed that I didn't know about this information. <laughs> it's also, yeah, I mean, like what you were saying is that I also felt sort of like, what the hell, <laughs> you know, like, why isn't this information out there for, for women? And, you know, in part, I think part of the issue is that there's not enough information out there. Um, like we need more information. Like we don't have a full picture of everything that the pill does to the brain. Like we're just really starting, I think, to hit the tip of the iceberg and we're going to learn a lot more, but there's no reason that women shouldn't have been given this information before now. There's just okay. no reason. Oh my gosh. Have you read, I don't know if you've read it. I just had her on the show about four months ago. Have you read the book Doing Harm by Maya Dunsenberry? No. What is that? So it's about the mismanagement, how lazy science and mismanagement has really set women back in terms of research and in terms of our health and well-being. And it's a book that lays out all of the research since the ninth, like the 1800s, maybe late 1700s, about how we have literally just continued to, it's, it's just how biased the medical system is. Uh, and how we've really paid the price for that. When I thought about this book, when I first arrived to my doorstep, I was like, oh my goodness, like this is the type of research that we need to know about that keeps getting kind of just pushed to the wayside where women don't have the information to make an educated choice, whether this is a good fit for them or not. Right. No, absolutely. And actually, you know, and I'm going to have to read that book. It sounds amazing. One of my chapters in my book is about this very issue. This is such a huge thing and it's science's dirty little secret. And that is that, especially when it comes to health-related research, that women have been almost completely ignored. And as recently as like 1986, researchers were publishing papers called like normal human aging, and they were done completely on men. Only on men. <laughs> Only, Only on, men. on men. And since 1994, when we've mandated it, nothing's actually changed. In, in since then, in the last 20 something years, we haven't made much stride there. No, we haven't. And, you know, and, and really, you know, cause I'm in science. And so, you know, I'm on the front lines of all of this stuff. I see this sort of thing going on all the time. And, um, you know, really what it comes down to is science is absolutely cutthroat competitive and it demands a very rapid pace of publication and the rewards go to people who publish these really easy to understand quick inexpensively done 
you know, as possible types of studies and studying women or female, females in general, because this is true. This is the problem is actually worse in preclinical research in animals. Almost all of that research starts out on males exclusively, right? And so, which is just absolutely unacceptable. But because females are harder to study because our hormones vary cyclically and you have to account for that in your research, it means that doing studies that include females are going to take longer. They're going to require more participants or more animals if you're doing animal research. They're going to require you to keep track of hormonal phase. um, And that makes things a lot more expensive and logistically complicated. And it also makes things more difficult, you know, makes them more difficult to interpret um, if you have males and females in the study. But so what? But science rewards that. They reward things that are like really simple to understand, non-nuanced, and you have to publish things super quickly or else you lose status in the field and then you start to lose grant funding. Um, you don't get access to students and it's, it's a really ugly path. So science needs to change. Science needs to change and show that they really value what's important to women and women need to push for this because we you know we have more power and more money more political clout than ever before and it's absolutely necessary that we tell science that it needs to change and it needs to reward the important science not the fast and easy science Absolutely. Well, let's talk about, and I can't even, I mean, ooh, I, I've had, we've had many conversations on this <laughs> podcast about this and how I get so lit up. It, it is, I'll get on a soapbox and I know, I know you, you have an entire chapter. So I knew you felt the same way I felt, but let's talk about birth control. Cause there's so many, speaking of misconceptions, speaking of how women are not been told the right things. I mean, and even doctors who, you know, if I have another doctor tell another patient that it's going to fix their acne and it's going to, it's going to fix their, their menstrual cycle. I swear to goodness, I don't know what I'm going to do. As you had said, when you were put on birth control, like so many of us at a young age was, okay, so to address our skin issues, to get our cycle back on track and to deal with menstrual cramps. For me, it was, it was the same thing. I was sold this bill of goods that the pill was going to do these magical things. And let's get real about what birth control really does and why it's, why it's such a big deal. We make it seem like it's not this thing. And there was an article recently, and I forget where it was, a couple different articles where doctors and I feel like, I don't know who else is really pushing the agenda that we don't even need a period. You know, that it's not even necessary. So, you know, we, we have a lot of that media coming out. We're just like, our women are like, this is great that I don't even have a period, but they don't realize the repercussions of what they're signing up for. They don't think that there's any side effects or long-term concerns around taking a, a synthetic drug like this. Right. No, I know. And I, and I mean, honestly, like, I think that people, it's like people forget that our experience of being the person that we are like our brain, its activities are influenced by, you know, these electrical and chemical signals and hormones are key among these signals that our brain uses to create the experience of being the person that we are. And you can't go and change somebody's hormones and only have it impact their ovaries. You know, the way that it impacts the ovaries is through the activities of the brain. It's like, it changes what the brain does. And doctors, it's almost like they have this 
Cartesian split, right? This idea of like this mind-body split where all that they're really focused on is what goes on in the quote-unquote body, right? Like, oh, is this going to, you know, cause um, an increased risk of, of heart attack and stroke, which, you know, these are obviously really important issues and research needs to go into those topics as well, right? To look at the way that the pill influences, you know, the non-brain parts of our body. But it's almost like, you know, even doctors themselves who study you know, the human body and brain sort of working together have this sort of magical split where they believe that hormones are going to influence us from the neck down, right? So ovaries and endometrial linings and all of that without um, influencing the activities of our brain and, and, and who we are. And so they've been focused exclusively on these, you know, issues that are sort of quote unquote medical without considering these issues that are, you know, quote unquote psychological, and it's really crazy when you think about it. And, and the idea that we might change what somebody's brain is doing to decrease you know, the number of periods they have, it's ludicrous. It's crazy. Or that they change somebody's, the activities of their brain, right? And the version of themselves that their brain is creating for clear skin. And for some women, that's still the right choice, right? They might think that, that it's worth the trade-off, but it's like, we need to know and we need to be telling women, what are these trade-offs that you're making if you go on the pill? You know, if you're going on it for clear skin, which again is something that some women will still choose to do knowing what the different psychological trade-offs are that they're making when they go on the pill, but they need to know what they are. We need to be given the full picture of what the pill does to our bodies from head to toe, and especially our brain, if we're going to be making informed decisions about our health. I agree. And here's the thing about acne is it's usually, I mean, we're masking the way our hormones are functioning. At the end of the day, a big part of the conversation here and this podcast is getting to the root cause of why you've got acne to begin with, you know, and <laughs> yeah. how, about, how about that, you know, opposed to masking it or, you know, my biggest concern, and we see this and we're going to get into what you've discovered and some of the more surprising things, but let's say a young girl in her 18, 20 year old is having menstrual issues. It's, it's having an inconsistent cycle and we put her on the pill to quote unquote regulate it, which it doesn't do any right. of that, by the way, <laughs> does not regulate your cycle. And then, you know, we fast forward to 2930 and we've, we've shut it all down, right? We've completely terminated all that. We never fixed that problem. And all along, whatever that was, is still there if not had gotten worse. And so you come off the pill because you're ready to have a baby and all of a sudden you're having a lot of difficulty. And it's, we never, we never gave that young girl a chance to actually figure out what was going on. Right. And especially, you know, the thing that I, and I talk about this in my book that concerns me about the sort of cavalier way that doctors treat the pill is giving it to these young girls. There are a lot of these girls, 15, 16, 17, you know, these young girls, their HPA and HPG axes, these hormone axes that, you know, will influence the way that their body sort of produces and their brain responds to hormones throughout their lifetime, right, is still figuring itself out during this time. And the brain is still organizing itself into its final adult blueprint. The pubertal transition and all of the things that go on in the brain in response to the sex hormones that occur during puberty, all of that, the brain is still being remodeled into its adult form during those years. So when you put in the birth control pill, right, which is changing all of this, these hormonal messages, we don't know what that's doing to brain organization. 
Like if a girl's brain is still developing, and we know that the sex hormones play a really important role in the development of the adult phenotype, right? The adult brain phenotype. We don't know what sort of signals it's telling the brain in terms of organizing itself. And this is something that there's no research on. And it, that's really frightening, you know, to a psychologist to think about the fact that doctors are sort of doing this routinely um, without really thinking about sort of some of those, you know, this could actually cause structural changes in the brain, but we just don't know that yet because people aren't doing research on it. Again, to get back to that other issue that we both soapbox about, I am in complete agreement with you on this. And I'd have to believe, I mean, we clearly don't have the research to demonstrate, but there absolutely has to be structural changes if, if we have these chemical influences coming in and changing the hypothalamic pituitary axis or the hypothalamic pituitary thyroid gonadal axis, right? All of these playing such a major role in, in how we function, our metabolism, our immune system, our growth, our emotional well-being, our cognitive function. When we talk about all of these hormones and the role that they play inside of the body, and if we're changing the construct of how our brain is developing with these synthetic hormones, there has got to be changes that we aren't aware of yet. There's got to be. It would really shock me if, if there weren't. And, you know, and they're probably... Again, like I don't want to alarm if there's any listeners who have a daughter, a young daughter on the pill, or like this isn't to be alarmist. Whatever is going on is probably not going to be terrible, but who knows? The research just isn't just isn't out there yet. You know, we need to be more critical of doctors who routinely give out oral contraceptives yet to mask these other existing problems like you were sort of alluding to, and especially during development, just because, you know, before the brain is done developing, we just don't know. We just don't know. I agree. Absolutely. It's definitely food for thought and definitely don't want to absolutely don't want to alarm people, but it's something that we need to be considering. And this is why we're having this conversation today as a mom. I, you know, I, I want, I, not that I don't want to be having those conversations. I don't want to set my child up for success, but we have to know that there's other ways to actually get our girls feeling better, you know, and, and really figuring out what's going on with them opposed to masking those symptoms, because that's all we're doing here. And I know as a mama, I wouldn't want to be masking my daughter's symptoms if something was inherently wrong that we didn't know about. Doctors just throwing pills at young girls. To me, it feels very inappropriate. I agree with you. Let's get into the book a little bit. Talk to me about some of the things. What were some of the, the discoveries for you? You know, you finally had the opportunity once you realized that there was this breadth of research that nobody knows about and just tucked in this little box over here that we don't talk about. You got to get into that box. You got to start reading that research. What were some of the most surprising things that you had found that you discovered that you put into the book? One of the things that really surprised me, like, enough where it made me do like a triple take was the research showing that the pill can influence who you are attracted to and even who you choose as a partner. So there's some really interesting research. Sort of backstory of all of this is that over the last decade, there's been a groundswell of research into the role that women's sex hormones play in influencing mate attraction. And what this research finds is that estrogen, and so during the phases of women's cycles, when estrogen is the dominant hormone, which is during the first half of the cycle, and particularly right near ovulation when um, estrogen begins to surge, women experience like really strong attraction to men with testosterone cues. 
So women like cues to masculinity. They like people who are socially dominant, people with swagger as their partners. And there's been a growing body of research, like I said, over the last 10 years or so, showing that estrogen sort of loves testosterone. The reason that we see the relationship between you know, a woman's sort of own levels of hormones and her fertility across the cycle, because of course, when estrogen begins to surge in the cycle, that's that period in time when conception is possible. The belief is that women experience this sort of increased desire, not only for sex, but also for sex with these socially dominant masculine men who have these hues that are associated with testosterone presence. The reasoning is believed that this provides a cue to health and developmental stability because testosterone is one of these things that's an immunosuppressive. So only men whose immune systems are in really good condition can actually produce a lot of it. So that's sort of the backstory of the research I'm about to tell you about. And given this research linking women's fertility across the cycle and estrogen in particular to women's preference for these sort of what we'll just call, you know, sexy men, researchers were interested in what happens when women go on the birth control pill. Because when you're on the birth control pill, of course, this suppresses a woman's own ovarian hormones. So it suppresses estrogen and progesterone, and it gives them instead a steady dose of these synthetic hormones. And the ratio of hormones that's in these synthetics is progesterone dominant or progestin dominant, I guess we would say, because progestins are the name of these artificial progesterone molecules that are put into the birth control pill. The researchers were really interested, given that the pill suppresses women's own hormonal fluctuations, and it instead gives them this daily dose of progestin dominant hormonal profile whether or not it might have an impact on the types of men that women are attracted to. And what they found was that lo and behold, women who are on the pill tend to prefer men with more feminine faces <laughs> and they tend not to be able to pick up on some of these cues that are associated with testosterone the way that naturally cycling women are able to. In one particularly clever study, the researchers had women who were partnered bring in their partner to the lab. They just took a picture of their partner and then they asked the women, are you on the birth control pill now? Um, were you on the birth control pill when you chose your partner? And then they just created two piles of photographs, right? Photographs of men who were chosen by women when they were not on the pill, photographs of men who were chosen when they were on the pill. And the men had their faces rated for femininity and masculinity. And sure enough, the men who were chosen by women who were on the pill had more feminine faces than the men who were chosen by the non-pill takers. This study is also consistent with some other studies where they've um, sort of compared the preferences, the mate preferences of women who are on the pill and off the pill and the different types of relationship satisfaction that is going on in the relationships of women who chose their partners on the pill and off the pill. And all of this research together sort of paints a picture that suggests that the pill might be influencing who women are attracted to, leading them to sort of deviate away from these sort of sexy men who have these cues that are associated with testosterone presence and leading them instead to pick up on other cues like a man's provisioning ability and potentially his ability to be a dad. So it's really provocative stuff when you think about it. Mm, that is really interesting. So like the hot guys are still out there basically. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we need to go go catch him. <laughs> In the book as well, I know that there was some exploration around you know our emotional mood changes, emotional states, our ability to manage stress. Can you speak to that? I mean, that's one of the biggest biggest complaints that I get from women is that they don't. I, so I was on the pill way back in the day when I was young as well. I think I got on the pill when I was 18 years old and it was for hormonal birth control. Yeah, I was, you know, I had, there were, there were some major preconceptions. I grew up Catholic. I have a Mexican grandma who really believed that we could get pregnant all the time, anytime you sneeze, you know, and, and that was the thing. And so she put the fear in us that that you, you will get pregnant at any given time. So that was definitely a concern. I wanted to go to college. I wanted, I wanted to get that degree and I, I didn't, and my mom was a single mama. She had me when she was 18 and I was really afraid that that was, I didn't want to go down that path. And so I got on birth control for that specific reason. That was the biggest reason why I got on it. And I was on it for a good, I guess, four years. And I was, I was bad crazy. I mean, it was never right for me. I was, I got off of it within about four years I was off for a very, very long time. I tried the copper IUD for a year. That also made me super crazy. And I got, I, I got that thing taken right out. I made it a year and then I relinquished it. So for me, it always rocked my world. It was never a good decision for me. It just never felt right. And this is the thing that so often I hear from women and some of them just grin and bear it. They just, they just continue to stay on it. Whereas others are just like, this is not for me. Can you speak to, is there a body of research to speak to this or is this just something we're ignoring? Yeah, no, there is. And before I get to that, I just want to say when you are talking, like one thing that kept coming up is this idea that, you know, you said that you stayed on the pill, even though it made you cuckoo crazy for, you know, four years. And there's so many other women who experience these terrible side effects. And then we stay on it for so long. And I think that that, like, I wish doctors and medical research would understand like how important fertility regulation is to us because we do these things, you know, even though it's not good for us because the fear, right. Of that, that we're yeah, exactly. yeah, I had to finish college. I was like, I am staying on this sucker until I get out of college. I'm getting this college degree and I'm not risking it. And that was the reason why I stayed on. And then once college was over, I was like, forget yeah. this noise. Later. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I mean, it just goes to show you how important of an issue this is for women. But to get to your other point, there's a, quite a bit of research in the different ways that the pill can influence mood and just sort of your feelings of zest for life, right? Or sort of vibrancy. And a lot of these changes, again, you know, they're the result of changes that are going on in the nervous system. And one change that we know of that is associated with birth control pill use that can really lead to problems with anxiety and depression is some of the changes that go on with the neurotransmitter GABA. And that's because women on the pill they have much lower levels of this really nice, calming metabolite of progesterone, like naturally occurring progesterone creates this metabolite when it's being broken down in the body called allopregnanolone. I'm not going to say that too many times fast. Yeah. <laughs> It'll just turn into a disaster. But this metabolite is able to 
stimulate our GABA receptors. And GABA is, it's like the most frequently used inhibitory neurotransmitter in the brain. And so just to give you like a, like give the listeners a like really quick lesson in neurotransmitters, these are the chemicals that the brain uses to mostly to communicate with itself and then communicate with the rest of the body. And they sort of come in two different flavors. There's like excitatory, which um, gets your brain sort of working more quickly, right? Getting you kind of ready to go. And then inhibitory neurotransmitters are those that slow the brain down, right? And so inhibitory neurotransmitters like GABA get released in a big way when we're like putting on our PJ pants and going to sit by the fire or we are doing yoga. So it's sort of our brain's like own internal kumbaya. And the research shows that women who are on the pill have significantly lower levels of this metabolite that stimulates these GABA receptors to help calm our brain down, lacking our natural sort of hormonal cycles and this metabolite that's sort of being released is something that can really produce problems in terms of a woman's feelings of, of calmness and their ability to cope. This is probably the thing that's been most researched in terms of mood, but there's also some research with women's HPA axis, which is the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. This is a part of your hormonal endocrine system that releases the hormone cortisol that we've all heard about, which is a stress hormone. And women who are on the pill have a very different cortisol response to stress than women who are naturally cycling. This is something that I have never heard anybody talk about before. There's been several studies published on this, and it's something that's really important. And the reason it's important is women who are on the pill, their stress response looks very similar to the stress response of somebody who's been through trauma or like chronic stress or like PTSD their stress response looks like a stress response that was totally overworked and is trying to shut itself down. And there's not a lot of research showing why this is, but, but having this problem, having this issue with your stress response, even though it might sound like it's like an amazing thing because it's going to make you not feel stressed, that's actually not at all what goes on. Instead, what happens is that you're not able to cope with stress because situations cause stress stress hormones allow us to cope with stress. So lacking this response, this dynamic response that healthy people have is also something that's probably contributing to these feelings of being completely overwhelmed that some women get when they go on the birth control pill. And so these, you know, these are just two of the issues. There's some other really sort of interesting and provocative research about different types of other neurotransmitter systems that might be involved um, in influencing mood. But the research is, it seems very clear, and that is that for some women, and again, this isn't for everybody, and in fact, for some women, the pill is actually has positive psychological effects. The research had the estimates at something like 50% of women who go on the pill will go off it like within the first three months because of side effects, and overwhelmingly, the side effects that they go off of are psychological, and most of them are mood-related. So this is a serious problem for a lot of women, and it probably has a lot to do with the influence of the pill on both the HPA axis and then also neurotransmitter systems like the GABAergic system. 
Hmm, that absolutely makes sense. And I didn't know that statistic that over like 50% are just like, see ya after, you know, and I know so often doctors are putting women on, well, this one or this one or this one and trying to figure out the right synthetic formula. And I'm just like, it's all, it's all the same. It's also because you're not going to get a different result. As we're getting closer, what are the types of things women should consider when deciding whether to be on the pill or not? This is such a great question, right? Because right now, and again, this this gets at that issue that you were talking about, right? Where you were on the, like, you really were afraid about getting pregnant. And so you, you know, stayed on the pill, even though you hated it. And there's so many women. I didn't know you only ovulate once. Like there, you know, no one told me. (laughs) I honestly thought if someone sneezed on me, it was over. Right. That was it. It's all over. (laughs) That's so funny. I know better now. You know, we, we know better. We do better. Right. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. For some women who are in a position where unexpected pregnancy would be absolutely devastating, there's, there's going to be women who are going to make the choice to be on the pill. It's It's the easiest to use, most effective thing that we have right now because of that, despite the trade-offs that women do make when they go on the pill, I think that it's something that some women are going to still probably gravitate toward just because it is sort of a nice fail-safe in some ways. I think that it's like really important that women need to learn about all the trade-offs that they're making because we are not given all the information that's out there about the birth control pill. And if we're going to be making informed decisions about our health, we need to know what it is that our body is going to be doing and who we are going to be because it changes what our brain is doing. And so it changes who we are. We need to know what our body is going to be doing. We need to know who we're going to be when we go on to the birth control pill. We also need to consider, again, you and I talked about age. I think that this is such an important issue in terms of not having women on it unless, you know, there's absolutely no other way to keep a woman safe from an unplanned pregnancy because, you know, an unexpected pregnancy, I think, is a worse outcome than being on the pill by a million miles if you don't want to be having babies. But I don't think that we should be routinely and so cavalierly giving birth control pills to girls, like especially under like age 19 or so. And I say this because of the things you and I talked about with the development of the HPG axis and the HPA axis, right? Our brain endocrine systems are still learning how to live in the world during that time and to be flooding the system with artificial hormones at this time. I don't think that that's necessarily a wise thing to do. And the brain is still developing. So that's one reason. But another reason is there's some really compelling research that's come out of Denmark where they've looked at the risk of serious depression and then also the risk of suicide from people based on whether or not they're on or off the birth control pill. And what they find is that the risk of depression and the risk of suicide um, is significantly greater for women when they're on the pill compared to women when they're not on the pill. But this risk is magnified by, I forget exactly what the magnitude is, but it's really very eye-opening for women between the ages of 15 and 19. 15 was the youngest that they looked at. So these adolescent women whose brains are still developing, if anybody's brain is going to be responding poorly to the addition of these exogenous hormones, it's going to be these girls based on this research. And so, you know, I would be really cautious, um, both because the brain is still developing and because this research, you know, looking at the risk of depression and suicide in this subset of women. So I would urge women to be very 
cautious about this. And I urge doctors to be very cautious about this and really think about whether prescribing the pill is something that's like going to be worth the trade-offs. Like again, if you have somebody who they're absolutely not going to be protecting themselves against a teenage pregnancy any other way, then it might be worth the trade-offs. If it's because, you know, somebody has a couple of pimples that they, you know, don't want to deal with or whatever, I say, let's be more cautious. Let's be a little bit more cautious and think about exactly what's going on when you put somebody on the birth control pill. So those are just a few of the issues. To consider, absolutely. The reason why I'm so happy that you've written this is that it has given us more information so that we can make a better educated decision, not only for ourselves, but for our, our daughters or our granddaughters as we as their those choices begin to open up for them. Now, where can we find this book? Where because it's available right now. Yes. So you can find this book pretty much anywhere. You can find it on uh, Amazon. You can find it on IndieBound. If you're somebody who likes indie bookstores as much as I do, you can find it on barnesandnoble.com. You can also find it on my website. I've got a link there and that's www.sarahehill.com. So you can find it there too. Wonderful. Thank you. And where can we find you online? Particularly on Instagram. Where can we find you? (laughs) Yes, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook. And my handle at all three places is at Sarah E. Hill, PhD. Perfect. Wonderful. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on. And I am wishing you all of the success with this book now that it's out and it's into the hands of women around the world. And I just want to say thank you so much for digging into this research and for being a part of the solution to helping us make better choices for our health. Okay. Thank you so much. I so appreciate you having me on. This has been a very good time. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. My hope for today's conversation is that you're feeling more empowered and educated about birth control and the impact it has on your brain and body. It's important to be aware of medications that we take and the need to understand their cost and benefits. Now, there are other forms of birth control outside of hormonal birth control that are absolutely worth exploring if you find that hormonal birth control is not right for you. It's also important to understand our menstrual cycle and how to support it. And one of my favorite episodes on this show was with Lisa Henderson-Jack, which was number episode 93, The Menstrual Cycle is the Fifth Vital Sign. Now, if you would like to learn more about how birth control changes the brain, I want to invite you to check out Dr. Sarah Hill's new book, Knowledge is Power, and this is an area that I think worth knowing. I will have the link in the show notes for the book. And if you are ready to jump in to learn more hormone content, I am so excited to release the second annual Essential Oils Hormone Summit. Just click the link in the show notes for episode 128 or go to www.eohormonesummit.com to register for free for our amazing second annual event. We've got so many great talks. I just can't wait till you get to listen in. And thank you so much for stopping by and listening in to the Essentially You podcast. On the next episode, I am bringing on Melissa Ambrosini, and we're talking about how to master your mean girl. I have been wanting to interview Melissa for some time, and I'm excited that she is coming on to share her brilliance. Until then, I hope that you have an amazing week. Bye.